Would you join me in prayer? Oh, our good shepherd, we want to hear your voice this morning. Would you come by your word and teach us? Call us to yourself. Tell us how to think, what to believe, and how to live. Lord, minister to us. Um, some of us are grieving. Some of us are looking ahead and facing death. Others have been able to pretend as if it's not a reality. Wherever we're at, Lord, would you come and minister to us, challenge us, strengthen us, sober, give us sober minds and hearts so that we might set our hearts and minds on you, our good shepherd and king. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? So Mike goes out of town and I get to preach about death. You guys might have seen this, uh, seen it on multiple different news feeds and social media outlets. Um, this tech CEO named Brian Johnson, who is 45 years old, but he's spending $2 million a year to have the body uh, and the health of an 18-year-old. So he does like all this diet stuff, all these exercises, all these treatments, all these tests and all this kind of stuff, Spend, literally spending $2 million a year on anti-aging. And I had to laugh when I saw one article that was in Fortune. It said, the 45-year-old CEO spending $2 million a year on anti-aging is probably wasting his money. <laughs> I just thought that was, yes, yeah, it's just spot on. That was so funny. Um, they interviewed a longevity expert, which I didn't know those, there, those such a thing existed, but um, the person basically said, yeah, you can do all that. You can... Um, you know, the, most people could do 90% of what he's doing. It's the, the upper 10% of the things that he's doing that are costing all the money. But at the end of the day, you can't change your genetics and you can't control what happens in the world. And you cannot delay death indefinitely, no matter what you do. And in this passage, Kohelet, this teacher of Ecclesiastes who's been exploring all the wisdom under the sun, every, all, all the worldly wisdom, Everything that can be said if we only look at this physical realm, he tells us, uh, he, he now turns to this discussion of death. And basically he says, uh, find what joy you can while you can because death comes for everyone. Find what joy you can while you can because death comes for everyone. And he particularly uses this um, phrase, um, and, and maybe I put it in my own language. He says, the answer to death is bread and wine. The answer to death is bread and wine. Everyone's going to die, so while you're here, enjoy good food, enjoy good drink. The answer to death is bread and wine. So let's look at this passage together and see what he has to teach us. First of all, we see the problem of death in verses 1 through 6. He says right there in verse 2, death comes for us all. It is the same for all. He says it again in, in verse 3, that this, the same event happens to all. You know, this continues that, that reality that we saw last week as he talked about suffering, how good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. In this passage, he goes, um, as he goes through verses one through three, he describes how um, the same thing happens to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked. It doesn't matter if you're good or evil. It doesn't matter if you keep the law or that if you shun the law. It doesn't matter if you are a worshiper, you sacrifice, or if you don't. It doesn't matter if you swear oaths to God, like you are very serious about your faith or if you break those oaths, the end of the day, as Ben Franklin said, nothing in this world can be considered certain except what? Death and taxes. Kohelet says, at the end of it all, 
And often that end comes sooner than you think. Uh, at the end of it all, death, com- death will come. Death comes for us all. And he does say, now, it's, it's not all, it's not totally negative, because he does say that there are good things in life, right? Living is, on the whole, living is better than dying, he says, in verses four through six. You know, the living one has hope, right? The, the living one can enjoy the good things, the portion of the world. The, the living one can enjoy the bread and wine and uh, white clothes and oil and the intimacy of a spouse. And, and so there is good things about life. But, but even that, he is, the goodness of life is only good relatively speaking. If you look at verse 4, yeah, he says the living one has hope, but, but his reason that, that um, life is better than death is that a living dog is better than a dead lion. And in the ancient world, dogs were, were regarded as nasty creatures, right? They weren't like, invite them into your house and they're part of the family. They were scavengers and they ate carcasses and they were gross and disgusting and violent. And so a living dog is not a very positive idea in the ancient world. It's better than a dead lion, but only just, right? That's kind of what Kohelet is saying. There are goods to be enjoyed. There's wisdom. There's the portion of life. There are our relationships, which he's talked about previously. But, and, and the dead have forgotten all the good and the bad of life. And so it's better to be alive, but one of the plagues of being alive is that you know eventually you're going to die. Verse 5. The living know that they will die. Sir Thomas More, in uh, A Man for All Seasons, the movie and the play, he has this powerful couple of sentences where he says, death comes for us all, even at birth. Even at our birth, death does not but stand aside a little. And every day he looks toward us and muses somewhat to himself whether that day or the next he will draw nigh. It is the law of nature and the will of God. Kohelet's picking up that same thing that the martyr Thomas More um, said, that death comes for us all, that from the moment we enter into the world, we're on a clock, and death will come. Living is better than dying, but death ultimately comes for us all. So then Kohelet turns to the answer. Well, you know, because you might say to him, well, then how do I go on living, right? Like, if death comes for us all and living is only barely better than being dead, like, how do I just, why even go on? And he says in verses 7 through 10, two things. Enjoy what you can while you can, and do what you can while you can. In verse 7, he talks, that's where he uses that famous, or or that thing that I'm pointing out, the the use of bread and wine. Eat good food. You know, he's not talking about self-indulgence, because if you remember earlier in the the, uh, book of Ecclesiastes, he's He's been against self-indulgence. He, when he says eat bread and wine, he means eat bread and wine with those you love. Celebrate. Share table fellowship with them. Uh, enjoy the good, what is good in life with those people that are good people in your life. Though, share what you love with those you love. Verse 8, um, you know, make yourself as comfortable as you can. Wear a white robe and put oil on your head. And in the ancient world, in a dry, arid place, wearing a white robe is way better than wearing a black robe. I'm not sure it makes much of a difference in Florida. But in, the, in his world, wearing a white robe was, was the cool, comfortable, secure thing to do, and, and having oil on his head was a sign of you know, uh, his skin not being dried out and parched and hurting. So Kohelet says, enjoy what you love with those you love. Seek comfort where you can. Verse 9, uh, seek 
intimacy with your spouse to the, to the husband. Seek intimacy with your wife and vice versa. Enjoy, verse 10, enjoy your portion. Enjoy what you can while you can. They're, these things are fleeting. They're, they're like mist. You can't hold on to them forever, and they won't ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, but they are good gifts from God. And so enjoy them while you can. So enjoy what you can while you can, and then do what you can while you can. In verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever opportunity you have. And if you look in uh, the Old Testament and you look for that simil- a similar phrase of that, do what your hand finds to do. You'll see it in the book of Judges. You'll see it in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. And it means take the opportunity that comes to you. You know, be, when, when opportunity comes, be ready and take advantage of it. <clears throat> do whatever you can while you can. Wh- whether, there, whether that's an opportunity for working, he says, is the end of verse 10, whether that's for working or thinking or learning or growing in wisdom, do what you can while you can. For there is none of this in Sheol, the land, the realm of the dead. So how does this apply to us? I mean, we want to jump to Jesus, right? Like, we're going to go there in a second. But just let's think about this earthly wisdom, the wisdom under the sun. How does this apply to us? One, I think it tells us, reminds us to be sober-minded. Death is coming for us all. We have a limited amount of time, and death always feels like it comes faster than we expect. Someone lives to 105, and, and someone in their family will still say they died too soon, Right? It always seems like a surprise, even though that we know it's not a surprise. So we should be sober-minded about that. We should get our houses in, in order. But I mean, like literally, like have a will and that sort of stuff. But also like just take stock of your life and ask yourself, the thing I spend my life thinking about and doing and experiencing, is it even worth, is it, is it the portion that God has given me or is it less than fleeting but useless and are we just mindlessly scrolling our life you know be sober-minded try to live a life that's worth living that's what Kohelet's saying both a life that's worth living in the sense of um, sharing good with others but also a life that's worth living in the sense of doing good for others you know uh, I remember this silly movie um, about snowboarders and in, there's a scene in there where someone says we have to carpe the diem we have to seize the carp, right? Like that's what Kohelet's saying. You have to seize the carp. You have to, Emmy's out there. She's a Latin teacher and she's just dying inside because I said that. Seize the day. Take what opportunities come to you. Enjoy what good things God gives you. Those are, those are legitimate lessons that Kohelet has for us. There's more to say, but, but there's not less than that. But now you might think that this problem of death, this pervasive and indiscriminate death, the way that it comes for the good and the evil, for the righteous, the unrighteous, the religious, the non-religious, even the young and the old, you might think that that's actually good reason not to believe in God. You might say this is evidence to walk away from this faith. There is no answer for this pernicious problem of death. But actually, it turns out that, that the anger and the frustration and the sorrow that we feel in light of death is compelling reason to believe that God is real and that there is a better world that's coming. Think about it this way. So there's a, the war in Ukraine and the war that's happening in Israel. Um, that when we see the injustice, it implies that there is something called justice, right? If there is no objective standard of justice, then everything that happens in the world, we may not like it, but that's really all we can say about it, 
We cannot call it unjust or evil or wicked or even good. If there is no objective standard of justice or goodness, we can't even say that death is unnatural. And yet somewhere deep down in our hearts, we know that even though death is the most natural thing in the world, it feels like the most unnatural thing in the world. Why? Because we were made for a world where death didn't exist. And so the injustice we feel about the death of the innocent or the sorrow that we feel at the loss of a loved one or just the, the anger that we have when people in our lives die, all of that actually points to a reality that's bigger and beyond us. If those feelings are true, that death is sad, and that there is such a thing as justice, then there must be a God who is all just, who is all good, and who made us for a world that is better than this one and is working to bring that world back into being. Without some secure foundation like that, without an objective source of goodness and justice, then everything that happens in the world is unpleasant, but we can't say it's evil. We can't even say death should make us sad. It's just the way things are under the sun. Only if we appeal to that greater reality of God and his purposes in the world do we discover that those emotions, those deep heart reactions to injustice and sorrow in the world are actually true and real. Those are some of the truest things about us and about the world. So all of this is compelling reason to believe in the God of the Bible and the story that the Bible tells us. It makes the Bible and God make much more sense of our intuitions about the world, about death, about justice, than a naturalistic worldview. The Bible tells us that the reason there's death in the world is because of human sin. God made the world good, in fact, very good. And he put human beings into it to reflect his glory to the ends of the earth to keep and to cultivate the creation. And instead of doing that, we rebelled against him. And he, when he first gave Adam and Eve the command not to eat from the, knowledge of, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, if you do, you will surely die. Death is the punishment for sin. So the reason there's death in the world is because human beings introduced sin into the world. Death is now a sign, in other words, that we are sinners, that everyone's a sinner. Everyone who dies, it's a sign that they are a sinner, that they are part of a sinful people, human beings, and that we need, some, some, we need an answer above the sun to deal with death under the sun. Kohelet alludes, alludes to this, doesn't he? Like, look at verse 3. He says um, that death is an evil in all the land. In other words, death is, un, death is unnatural. God didn't make the world for there to be death in the world. And then he goes on, he says, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. On our own, apart from Christ, without the Holy Spirit's work in us, we are full of evil. We are sinners, and that's why we die. But God, but God sent Jesus Christ into the world to trample down death by death. That in his death, our death, is defeated, that he went into Hades and snatched the keys. And he says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, behold, I am the first and the last, the living one, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So 
Kohelet's answer to death should feel. It is inadequate. But Jesus offers us a truer and better answer. God has dealt with the problem of death, and in fact, he has dealt with the problem of death through bread and wine. Jesus came into the world. He defeated death in his, his death and resurrection, his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. He defeated death. And he says in John chapter 6 that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and that he will raise the one who believes in him on the last day. The death won't get the final, final word in your life. God will because Jesus is alive. You know, those great heroes of the faith, the saints that we look back to, the martyrs that we look back to, the, the reason they were able to live such exemplary and amazing and awe-inspiring lives is because they deeply believed and experienced that Jesus is alive. And the way that you persevere, the way that you go on living when sorrow seems to overwhelm you is because you know deep down that you don't grieve as one who is without hope, for Jesus is alive. This is how we persevere in hope. This is how we sacrifice for others. This is how we um, serve others who, quote unquote, don't deserve our serving them. This is how we get through suffering because we know that God has defeated death in the death of Christ. And he has given us these signs of holy baptism and holy communion. That in baptism, we have, been, we have died with Christ. We're already dead. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized, you're already dead. You're, you died when Jesus died, and you have been raised again. You are now united to him, and you already share in his eternal life. And so you don't have to fear death the way that many people, if they read Kohelet in those first six verses, would begin, begin to become anxious about death. And moreover, not only did God give us baptism as the sign that we have been uh, that we have died with Christ and been raised with him, but he gave us Holy Communion. And Jesus says that in communion, at the Eucharist, we feed on his eternal life. That the answer to our death is actually bread and wine. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 53 to 58, listen to how many times he, he connects eternal life with feeding on him. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus has defeated death, and he gave us the sacrament of Holy Communion, and through it, he feeds us, he fills us, he nourishes us out of his eternal life. This meal of bread and wine is God's answer to death. So when you come to the Lord's table this morning, come no matter how faltering and feeble and frail your faith may feel, come and eat bread with joy and drink wine with, mer with a merry heart. For whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, would you meet us
in the remainder of our worship service through the preaching of this word, through our songs and our prayers and coming to your holy table, would you fill us with eternal life, that we might be the type of people who live a life that is worth living, a life that is marked by um, sacrifice and risk for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus. Would you fill us with this eternal life which gives us the assurance of our salvation and also um, makes us be people who overflow with generosity and compassion and makes us people who are brokenhearted at the suffering and injustice in the world. So Lord, would you feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.